Well, happy Thanksgiving. In a few moments, um, in a little bit, we are going to have our time for our open mics for you as a congregation to share what you are particularly thankful for and how God's grace has been evident in your life. And as we go to this time of sharing in a little bit, after some meditation on God's Word this morning, what I encourage you to do is, is to think through not only what are you thankful for, but how is the very thing that you're thankful for a picture of the character of God? How does it reflect some aspect of who God is, what He has done, and some aspect of His very being? We're going to turn our attention here this morning to um, this passage. We're going to look at Psalm 104. And look at Psalm 104 and how the psalm calls us and calls us as the people of God in particular to recognize the grace that God has given to us and our due response to call ourselves, to inspire ourselves, to arouse ourselves to give God the praise that he is due. Let's pray and set this time apart. Father, we ask for your guidance on your word. And more than that, Lord, we ask that through your word, your spirit would work in our hearts to inspire thanks, to inspire praise, that we might understand your character, that we might live in joy, that we would not take for granted the many blessings that you have given us, but that we would recognize the hand from whence they come and give you the praise that you are due. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. It's 154 years ago that the President of the United States established Thanksgiving as a day and as a national holiday. It was President Abraham Lincoln, and this was Lincoln's proclamation establishing Thanksgiving. And it is, I find it remarkable, having read through this several times, how the very thing that Lincoln proclaimed that we do on Thanksgiving is so often the very thing that we don't do on Thanksgiving. And the very thing that Lincoln said that we neglect to do, and therefore he issued this proclamation, still is the very thing that we neglect to do. So here are these words from President Lincoln. The year is drawing towards its close. It has been filled with the blessings of fruitful fields and healthful skies. To these bounties, which are constantly enjoyed, or which are so constantly enjoyed that we are prone to forget the source from which they come. Others have been added which are of so extraordinary a nature that they cannot fail to penetrate and soften even the heart which is habitually insensible to the ever-watchful providence of Almighty God. In the midst of a civil war of unequaled magnitude and severity, which has sometimes seemed to foreign states to invite and to provoke their aggression, Peace has been preserved with all nations. Order has been maintained. The laws have been respected and obeyed. And harmony has prevailed everywhere except in the theater of military conflict. While that theater has been greatly contracted by the advancing armies and the navies of the Union. Needful diversions of wealth and strength from the field. Needful diversions of wealth and strength in the field of peaceful industry to the national defense have not arrested the plow, the shuttle, or the ship. The axe has enlarged the borders of our settlements and the mines as well of iron and coal as of precious metals 
have yielded even more abundantly than heretofore. Population has steadily increased, notwithstanding the waste that has been made in the camp, the siege in the battlefield and the country, rejoicing in the consciousness of augmented strength and vigor, is permitted to expect continuance of years with large increase of freedom. No human counsel has devised, nor hath any mortal hand worked out these great things. They are the gracious gifts of the Most High God, who dealing with us in anger for his sins has nevertheless remembered mercy. It has seemed to me fit and proper that they should be solemnly, reverently, and gratefully acknowledged as with one heart and one voice by the American people. I do therefore invite my fellow citizens in every part of the United States and also those who are at sea and those who are sojourning in foreign lands to set apart and observe the last Thursday of November next as a day of thanksgiving and praise to our beneficent Father who dwelleth in the heavens. And I recommend to them that while offering up of the ascriptions justly due to him for such singular deliverance and blessings, they do also with humble penitence for our national perverseness and disobedience, commend to his tender care all those who become widows, orphans, mourners, or sufferers in the lamentable civil strife in which we are unavoidably engaged. And that we would fervently implore the interposition of the Almighty Hand to heal the wounds of the nation and to restore it as seen as may be consistent with the divine purposes to the full enjoyment of peace, harmony, tranquility, and union. A witness thereof, I have hereunto my hand and caused the seal of the United States to be offered. Done at the city of Washington this, can't read it back there, done at the city of Washington this third day of October, in the year of our Lord 1,863, and of the independence of the United States, the 88th, by the President, Abraham Lincoln, drafted by his hand by the Secretary of State, William H. Seward. So it was that Lincoln called our nation to give a day of thanks to our Almighty God. How much more so should we, as the people of God, express our thanks and praise to Him and freely acknowledge the blessings that God has given to us and that they are not come from human wisdom or our own hand, but are only the gifts of the Lord. So we're going to turn some time to our attention to Psalm 104, which is a psalm of thanksgiving and praise, and see how the psalmist calls us as the people of God to give God the praise that he is due. This psalm is a challenge to many beliefs. At the time it was written, it was certainly a challenge to the beliefs of the Egyptian myths, but it also stands as a challenge today And as a declaration of faith, stands as a challenge to all who would seek to exalt the creation over the creator. And it would challenge those who subscribe to, who exalt the creation over the creator, whether that's through mysticism, whether that's through spiritism, whether that's through science, exalting the creation over the creator. For the psalm here highlights the enormous difference between the creation and God Almighty, the one who created it. We're going to go through this in chunks with some brief comments. Here's what the psalmist writes. 
Bless the Lord, O my soul. O Lord, my God, you are very great. You are clothed with splendor and majesty, covering yourself with light as with a garment, stretching out the heavens like a tent. He lays the beams of his chambers on the waters. He makes the clouds his chariot. He rides on the wings of the wind. He makes his messengers winds, his ministers a flaming fire. How different the God of the Bible is from the worship of gods that emerge from the earth. How different the God of the Bible is than the worship of gods that emerge through mythology or spiritism or what's prevalent today in the, the emphasis on Mother Earth as if the higher being emerged from the created order. For what the psalm emphasizes is that God is wholly distinct from his creation. He is distinct, but he is not removed. It is not as though God set the creation and set the world into orbit and set life to happen and then he stepped out of it to let it go in its own course. No, the psalmist is emphasizing that God is intimately involved and intimately intimately connected to the created order. These words here, these descriptions of God in his tent and his, uh, his chambers and riding on the chariots, these different aspects of creation, all these things highlight that our world... The natural order is something that God created and something that he delights in, and that it is filled with his glory and with his power. Verses 5 through 9. God sets the earth on its foundations so that it should never be moved. You covered it with a deep as with a garment. The waters stood above the mountains. At your rebuke, they fled. At the sound of your thunder, they took to flight. The mountains rose. The valleys sank down to the place that you appointed for them. You set a boundary that they may not pass so that they may, might not again cover the earth. The psalm now proceeds to follow roughly the pattern of creation laid out in Genesis. It is emphasizing God's purposeful design in the world. God's intention that the mountains would be dry and the ocean would be wet and the two would not Be confused with one another so that life might abound. God designed these things, and it is something for us and as his people to praise him for. Verses 10 through 13. You make springs gush forth in the valleys. They flow between the hills. They give drink to every beast of the field. The wild donkeys quench their thirst. Beside them, the birds of the heavens dwell. They sing among the branches. From your lofty abode, you water the mountains. The earth is satisfied with the fruit of your work. The stress here is on God's intentionality in creating a world that would flourish with life. And today, with our modern understanding of astronomy, how much more so can we marvel at the infinite variety of life that that is on this earth particularly when you compare that to the other rocks that orbit the sun or the other balls of gas. How amazing it is that God creates a world where there is places for animals to drink and sing and mountains and homes and and all of these things for life to flourish, all according to God's intention. Verse 14, you cause the grass to grow for the livestock and plants for man to cultivate that he may bring forth food from the earth 
and wine to gladden the heart of man, oil to make his face shine and bread to strengthen man's hearts. The trees of the Lord are watered abundantly, the cedars of Lebanon that he planted. In them the birds build their nests, the stork has her home in the fir trees. The high mountains are for the wild goats. The rocks are a refuge for rock badgers. God's design and his glory is seen in the wonder of creation. And it is also seen in the wonder of his creation of human beings. That human beings are part of God's design and his his creation. And what the psalmist celebrates is that as part of God's design, God made people with ability, and he intended God, his people to develop the creation, to cultivate the earth, to cultivate food, to cultivate, develop societies. And so both of these things, food and drink and the other things mentioned, they are equally the result of human effort and human labor, the result of people cultivating the earth and They are also equally the gift of God and the gift of his design. And our ability to appreciate and to enjoy and to delight these things is just God's goodness to us. Well, part of his grace that we can appreciate and enjoy the good things that God has given to us. Continues verse 19. He made the moon to mark the seasons. The sun knows it's time for setting. You make darkness and it is night. When all the beasts of the forest creep about, the young lions roar for their prey, seeking their food from God. When the sun rises, they steal away and lie down in their dens. Man goes out to his work and to his labor until the evening. O Lord, how manifold are your works. In wisdom you have made them all. The earth is full of your creatures. All of creation, the universe, the seasons, The wild things in every moment of your life is upheld by the gracious hand of the Almighty God. And they are unmistakable signs of His grace to us. It's for these things that Lincoln said, It is to these bounties which are so constantly enjoyed that we are prone to forget the source from which they come. And there have others been added which are of so extraordinary a nature that they cannot fail to penetrate and soften even the heart which is habitually insensible to the ever-watchful providence of the Almighty God. May we acknowledge the source of all of these blessings in His sustaining hand. Continues verse 25. Here is the sea, great and wide, which teems with creatures innumerable, living things both small and great. There go the ships and Leviathan, which you form to play in it. Look at verse 26. There go the ships which you formed, and Leviathan which you formed, to work out the grammatical structure there. There go the ships, the greatest at the time, the greatest technological achievement formed by God as a gift of his grace for mankind. And the Leviathan, which is, not really know, we don't really know what it is, but it is some large, active, sportive, sea creature, his very presence in the ocean, the very times that it, it breaches the surface and frolics in the sea, 
gives glory to God. And more than it just gives glory, it delights God. I mean, consider that. When a, when a whale breaches in the ocean, God says, that's awesome. I made that. And he delights in the goodness of his creation. Verse 27. These all look to you to give them their food in due season. When you give it to them, they gather it up. When you open your hand, they are filled with good things. When you hide your face, they are dismayed. When you take away their breath, they die and return to their dust. When you send forth your spirit, they are created, and you renew the face of the ground. Psalmist is emphasizing, I believe, what Lincoln also said, that no human counsel hath devised, nor hath any mortal man, nor hath any mortal hand worked out these great things. They are the gracious gifts of the Most High God, who, while dealing with us in anger for our sins, hath nevertheless remembered his mercy. The psalmist concludes, May the glory of the Lord endure forever. May the Lord, re- may the Lord rejoice in his works. Think about that. May God rejoice in his creation, who looks upon the earth and it trembles, who touches the mountains and they smoke. I will sing to the Lord as long as I live. I will sing praise to my God while I have being. May my meditation be pleasing to him. For I rejoice in the Lord. Let sinners be consumed from the earth and let the wicked be no more. Bless the Lord, O my soul. Praise the Lord. Verse 35. Let sinners be consumed from the earth, and let the wicked be no more. We who gather this day on this side of the cross of Jesus Christ and his resurrection from the grave, we long for the day for the removal of evil and wickedness in this world. And we long not only for there to be peace on earth, but we long for the whole created order which shows God's glory, to be set free from corruption, to be set free from the shackles that bind it. And in addition, we rejoice because we who are Christians, we live and we should live and we live in thanks. Our lives are to be lived in thanksgiving to God every day. Not only for the goodness of our creating God, but also for the goodness of our redeeming God, who though he would have every right to destroy us and all of creation for our sinfulness and his corruption, yet he chose not to do so. Instead, he sacrificed himself so that we would be redeemed and so that God's good creation would be restored. And we look forward to the day When creation and humankind will gloriously flourish for all eternity and every day will be more amazing than the day day before. And we will sing and we will call ourselves to sing in unending praise. It's the one thing in the psalm that really highlights how we as humans are unique from the created order. Up to this point, The psalm has emphasized that the creation 
has glorified God simply by what it is. That the Leviathan frolicking in the ocean glorifies God by its frolicking, simply by what it is. That the mountains and the oceans radiate the glory of God simply by being. And that's true of humankind too. That we, God is glorified simply in our capabilities and the capacities of humans. Humans. But there is something much more that is emphasized in this psalm. For man alone on all of the earth can consciously and deliberately praise the Lord. Mankind can consciously sing to the Lord and generate a greater praise to God Almighty. And the psalmist says in rehearsing these things in his mind, he says, I, I will sing to the Lord. I think that's something that we need to tell ourselves and call ourselves to do. That when you are struggling, when you've had a frust- frustrating week, when things aren't going well, that you say to yourself, you know what? I will sing to the Lord. I will not neglect his mercy to me. And the psalmist begins and ends with this phrase, bless the Lord, O my soul, praise the Lord. Bless the Lord, O my soul. The psalmist is telling himself that he needs to praise the Lord. I think he has it right. So we, we need to remind ourselves to give thanks to God. We need to remind ourselves to give God the praise that he is due. We need to remind ourselves to pause and set time aside to think about and to meditate on the blessings of God, his mercy and grace, how his character is revealed and all those things. We need to set aside time to do that because otherwise we forget. How much as the people of God do we therefore need to do not only what Abraham Lincoln called, called us to do, but what the Psalms called us to do, call us to do again and again? to arouse ourselves to give thanks to God Almighty. So as a church, as a congregation, as individual Christians, let us join with President Lincoln and remember that no human hand has counseled nor worked out. No human has counseled nor any hand worked out these great things. May we also offer thanksgiving and praise to our beneficent Father who dwelleth in heavens. And so let us, as the people of God, let us inspire one another. Let us encourage one another, encourage one another, excuse me, encourage one another out of our apathy, out of our blah. Let us encourage one another to give thanks to the Almighty God. In a few moments, we're going to open up the mics And I would ask you to consider, what do you give God thanks for? And what aspect of his character is reflected in the blessing for which you are thankful for? So, for example, if you're thankful for family, the fact that God has given you a family reflects that God is a God of love. and is a God who delights in relationships. If you're thankful for the beauty of creation... It's a sign of his ingenuity. It's also a sign of his character, of his providence, of God's sustaining power, how he upholds the world at every moment. If you're thankful for flowers, it's a sign to us of God's grace, a sign that God is beautiful. 
And he's a beautiful God. If you're thankful for Thanksgiving dinner and taste buds to enjoy gravy and apple pie and mashed potato, if you're thankful for your nose so that you can smell a turkey cooking in the oven all day long, all those things are signs that God is good. And he has given a world to be enjoyed so that you would know that he is a good and loving God. So, let us open up the mics and uh, let us give thanks and praise to one another.